Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. <clears throat> Our reading today is Matthew chapter 6, 25 to 34, and we will be following the New Standard Revised Version. Do not worry. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is life not more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to the span of your life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore do not worry by saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink? Or what we will wear, for it is the Gentiles who seek all these things, and indeed your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. But first seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. Good morning, friends. Um, so I've been at Bessels for 15 years. And I've preached on this passage twice before. But I make no apology this morning for repeating a number of things that I think I've said on both of those occasions. That is because I think there is so much in this passage that is so important. And I know for myself I need to hear things several times for them to go in. One in four people in the UK will experience a mental health problem of some kind each year in England. And one in six report experiencing a common mental health problem such as anxiety or depression in any given week in England. When I first preached on this passage in 2009, that statistic was 1 in 10. Now, it's partly due to increased awareness of mental health issues and challenges. I realise that. But I also think it is a trend we are seeing in our society. Perhaps don't look at those around you, but one in four of us will struggle at some stage during this year with anxiety, depression, or low mood. And then we come to today's Bible passage. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Yes, it is. But we do worry about what we wear and what we eat and what we look like. 
The diet industry uh, is worth an estimated, and these were US figures, but the diet industry in the States is worth an estimated $500 billion a year. The fashion industry, $1.5 trillion a year. We do worry about what we wear and what we eat. Um, I'm a big fan of Matt Haig, and I came across his book a few years ago, Reasons to Stay Alive, and the book itself was an absolute balm to my soul at a time I needed it. If you've not read it or haven't got a copy, go buy one. He says this in the book. The world is increasingly designed to depress us. Happiness isn't very good for the economy. If we were happy with what we had, why would we need more? How do you sell an anti-aging moisturizer? Well, you make somebody worry about aging. How do you get people to vote for a political party? You make them worry about immigration. How do you get them to buy insurance? You make them worry about everything. How do you get them to have plastic surgery by highlighting their physical flaws? How do you get them to watch a TV show by making them worry about missing out? How do you get them to buy a new smartphone by making them feel that they are being left behind? And I love this. Listen to this. To be calm becomes a kind of revolutionary act. To be happy with your own non-upgraded existence. To be comfortable with our messy human selves would not be good for business. Can I get an amen? amen? One psychologist described it as, we live in an age of anxiety. And there is a lot, isn't there, for us to worry about. There's the current cost of living crisis and whether we're going to be able to make ends meet at the end of every month. The effects of inflation... As Richard so helpfully prayed earlier, there are wars in our world, places of terrible conflict. And then since I preached this sermon last time where I said perhaps we need to worry about bird flu in the next pandemic. Yes. Which of you by worrying can add a single hour to the span of your life. You know what, we can't add any time to the length of our lives by worrying, but you can shorten them. Anxiety and worry are part of a biological response known as the stress response. It's our fight, flight, freeze reflex. You're aware of that? When you are, are challenged, when something, uh, you observe a child run into a road, you, you are suddenly put at danger. Your, your body responds. The pituitary gland squirts out cortisol and adrenaline, which causes your digestion to slow down, gives you tunnel vision, accelerated heart rate, fast breathing, increased sweating, blood pressure. Your liver begins to convert glycogen into glucose, so you're ready to go. 
That process was designed to happen from time to time when you spotted a tiger in the undergrowth. The problem with modern life is we live with some amount of this stress response almost constantly. And it creates in us physiological responses that our body is not designed to cope with. You may not add any time to your life by worrying, but you can shorten it. So before I get to the Bible passage today, it feels appropriate just to make a couple of suggestions that I hope you will find helpful. And the first one is to say this. If you are struggling with anxiety or with depression, please go get medical or psychiatric help. There is absolutely no shame in that at all. Can I get another amen? Amen. If you had a headache, you would take aspirin. If you broke your arm, you would get a plaster cast. If the biochemical makeup in your brain is, is not as it should be at the moment, there are medications that can help. In the past 20 years, I've spent two periods of my life where I've taken some form of, um, of antidepressant medication to help me get through a period of life. They have been massively helpful. If you're struggling, I encourage you to go and talk to somebody. The second thing is to take a helicopter flight. Rick, calm down, I don't mean it literally. <laughs> what I mean is a suggestion from um, Professor Steve Peters in his book, The Chimp Paradox. And he says this, when you are caught in the middle of worry and anxiety, take the helicopter up. Go up a few thousand feet and ask yourself this question, will it matter in an hour's time? Then go a bit higher, will it matter in a day's time? Will this thing that I'm worrying about matter in a week's time, a month's time, a year's time, five years' time? And go up in the helicopter. If you're not going to worry about it, if it's not going to be an issue in an hour's time, then perhaps you're worrying unnecessarily. If it is an issue in five years' time, then you've got to respond in some way or another. But I guarantee for most of us, the things that we're worrying about, this won't matter this time next week. So let's gain a little bit of perspective. Secondly, and, and Ellie, I, I, it sounds like you've tried this one. Um, maybe with, with not as much success as some people, but there we go. Um, keep a book by the side of your bed, a diary or a journal. And if you find yourself awake in those early hours of the morning, you know what it's like, where you're running through scenarios, you're imagining perhaps an element of catastrophizing. Grab the pad next to your bed and write down things that I will worry about tomorrow. It's a simple psychological trick because it gets your mind off the hook. Because you've put them somewhere else. You've put them in an external container. Okay, I will deal with this in the morning. Write them down. And then when you get up in the morning, tomorrow is today, so you still don't need to worry about them. Finally, um, if you find yourself somebody who gets triggered by the news, uh, uh, Richard, you stole a point from my sermon in your, in, in your prayers. 
If you find yourself triggered by watching the news, watch less news. Um, Sarah and I watch the headlines, and then we go off to bed, partly because we're old now. <laughs> but uh, unless a particular story catches our attention. But you know, part of that living in a constant state of anxiety that I talked about earlier, this triggered, it's as a response to the 24-hour news cycle that we live in. When people watch the news under an MRI or a brain imaging scanner, some parts of the brain light up, that fear amygdala response thing lights up, and they semi-experience what they're seeing as if they were there. Okay, not to the same extent as the people that are there, but to a lesser degree. And you know what it's like these days. How many of us consume our news these days online on our smartphones? There is no editor on your smartphone on many of those news feeds. The algorithm wants to get your attention. That's its job. And one of the ways to get your attention is to scare you. Clickbait, it gets called. And I think, sadly, we're beginning to see some of our mainstream media having to respond in a competitive world with similar tactics to compete for our attention. So just be mindful of the news you consume and the effect it has on you. However, I do think Jesus' solution, although not written for our contemporary world, is extraordinarily helpful and borne out by a lot of modern psychology. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. Just one thing quickly. I don't think Jesus is saying don't plan. Don't have a pension plan. Don't plan for the future. That's a sensible thing that we all need to do. But I think Jesus is saying, don't put your hope there. Don't plan and then place your hope in that plan. Instead, live in the present. And I think that is the key to this passage. And the more I've read on this, the more convinced I am that this is sage wise, helpful advice. Because you see, there's the past and there is the future. But all you really have at any one moment in time is this present moment. Can you go back and live in the past? No. Can we yet go into the future and affect things that are yet to happen? No. All we have is this present moment. And our regrets and our worries, they steal us out of the present moment and back into the past. You know how it is where you're lost replaying a situation, that meeting that didn't go well. There you are, two hours later, replaying the conversation again and again and again, stealing you out of the present moment and taking you back into the past. Or the worries. Many of our worries and anxieties are about things that will or may or may not happen in the future. One of the techniques they ask you to do in cognitive behavioral therapy is to write down things you think might happen in the future, the things you are worried about. 
and then to see did they happen did they come to pass in that way because 99.9% of the time they're not as bad as we imagined they were going to be i think jesus's message in this passage is a lot about living in the present moment being present to God, being present to one another in this minute. Because our worries and our regrets, they tend to reside in the future or in the past. But the more we can find ways to be present to the moment and to God in the moment, the more our worries melt away. We follow a daily office as our staff team from the Northumbria community and this is one of their regular monthly reflections. Hurry, or we could replace this with worry, is an unpleasant thing in itself, but also unpleasant for, ev- for whoever is around it. Some people come into my room, they rushed in and rushed out, and even when they were there, they were not there. They were in the moment ahead or the moment behind. And then some people came in just for a moment and they were all there. Completely in that moment. Live from day to day, just from day to day. And if you do so, you worry less and live more richly. If you let yourself be absorbed completely, if you surrender completely to the moments as they pass, you will live those moments more richly. You know, the longer I've lived and the more I have tried to do this, the more I can attest to the truth of that statement. We are, the, life, the only life we have is in this present moment. Right now. You have chosen to be here now. So be present here now. To one another and to God and to what is going on. In many ways, that is how to live a rich, full life. I think Jesus put it like this. Look at the birds of the air. They neither reap, they neither sow nor reap, nor gather into barns, and your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. What is Jesus saying? I think this is what Jesus is saying. I will give you a moment. David, I'm reminded of a sermon of yours a few years ago, Be More Dog. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Make God's kingdom your bullseye. Make that what you aim for. And and other things I think will fade if I'm honest, 
In John's gospel, John's translation of the kingdom of God, I think, is eternal life. Where Matthew, Mark and Luke talk about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, John talks about eternal life. It's a Greek phrase, zoe ionion. It means the life of the ages. Matthew, Mark and Luke make, say, make the kingdom of heaven your focus. Make that your bullseye. John says, make this life of the ages. He's talking about the same thing here. He's talking about the presence of God, life lived well with God, God's will done on earth as it is in heaven, the kingdom of God, life as it was meant to be, or as he puts it, life and life abundantly. Yet when we think about eternal life, so often we think about it in terms of longevity, don't we? We think about eternal life, one that will go on forever, and undoubtedly, that is part of what's in John's mind. But the life of the ages, zoe ionion, eternal life, also means a life of great depth. Eternal life might be something we can think about as eternal temporally, but also a life of immense depth and vitality. That is the life in all its fullness, the abundant life, the eternal life, this kingdom of God that Jesus desires us to live, that God desires us to live. It is a life of vitality. Now, vitality does not mean that, it will, it, it, that there will not be problems, that there will not be challenges. Let me give you two examples of two of the most vital moments in my life. One was the birth of either one of our four children. That magic of childbirth, if you've ever, ever been in the room at that moment, one of the most vital moments where you just, everything melts away in the presence of this messy, bloody, painful experience that is so vital. And then the other one was at the last time I saw my aunt as she was dying of cancer. And I sat in the room with her and I knew I had to say my goodbyes. And I'm a pastor and I'm supposed to be good at these things. And she drifted in and out of consciousness and I held her hand. And the wind blew through the slightly open curtains and they moved. And I thought the spirit of God is here. Jenny, I'll see you again. Goodbye. I love you. And she died five days later. That was a painful moment, but vital. Full of poignancy, life, and meaning. A vital, abundant life does not mean there will be no struggle. But it can be deep. Friends, if you need to gain perspective on life, remember this. This too shall pass. What you find yourself in at the moment, this too shall pass. Your great successes, your massive accomplishments, they will pass. Your failures that you allow to define you, they fade So instead, treasure 
the kingdom of God. Treasure this gift of life in all its depth and all its mystery and all its vitality and all its given giftedness, grace. And never miss an opportunity toward, to turn towards one another. The Gottman Institute is a, a, an institute of, of um, sorry, couple relationships. They study couple relationships. And a few years ago, the Gottman Institute did an experiment where they invited couples to live in a house where there were cameras observing everything they did. And they watched them. And they would stay there for 12 hours. And they had several couples, lots of couples do this. And Steve Gottman of the Gottman Institute reckoned he could tell within five minutes of observing them the likelihood that their relationship would go the distance. And this is the single statistic he thought made the most difference. How often, when one made a bid for attention, did the other one turn towards them and acknowledge it? Because they say that in our relationships, we all make constant bids for attention. You're standing at the sink, you're washing up, you look out and you go, oh look, look at that robin on the fence over there. Does your partner look up from their smartphone and go, oh yeah, wow, that's fantastic. Or do they stay staring at their smartphone and not acknowledge the response? That will be the biggest determiner, according to Steve Gottman, of the success of your relationship is when your partner makes those multiple bids for attention, do you turn towards them? I don't get it right all the time, but I know since I read that, I try really hard to do that. And really, it's about being in that present moment. It's about, you're going to miss that, Robin, because it's going to fly away. Do you move, turn towards the people they are and acknowledge them, and move into that present moment with them and life because that's where life is? Or am I sitting here staring at the news thinking about something that's happening next week? That stuff has to get done. But those micro bids for attention turn towards one another and friends turn towards God. Because that is where life is found. I close with this. Many of you will be familiar with the serenity prayer some of you perhaps more familiar than others. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. But what I was fascinated to discover a few years ago is the prayer doesn't end there. Reinhold Niebuhr, who wrote that prayer, wrote a, the next section, which is less famous but boy, is it helpful. And I would like to close our service today by reading and praying this prayer with you. So God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things that I can and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, Accepting hardships as the pathway to peace. Taking as he did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it. Trusting 
that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever in the next. Amen. Let's just pause, maybe close your eyes. What one thing that you've heard this morning has sunk deep. You know, I trust that the Spirit of God is involved as I write a sermon. I trust the Spirit of God is involved when I deliver a sermon. But I also trust that the Spirit is God is involved with you hearing a sermon. Because you hear it through the filter of your life circumstances and all that's going on for you. So my guess is something this morning resonated with all the, inf- all the baggage and all the life that you came with. What was that one thing? How can you move, take and act on that this week? Lord God, help us to find in, the, in a life that is so full of challenges, so prone to anxiety and difficulty, where we get sucked into the past and sucked into the future by worries and anxieties. Help us to find you in this present moment. Help us to live this life vitally in relationship with one another, in relationship with you in this present moment because it is all we have. So perhaps this afternoon as we go walk, as we take advantage of the bank holiday, as we spend time with our loved ones, Help us to be fully present to them. Fully present to you and the beauty of your creation. That we might live in this moment because this moment is where you are to be found. In Jesus' name.